across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pies. My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? Conditions. <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to Flavour with Sue Bailey and me, Matt Bentman, here to bring you the latest local food and drink news and stories. No Alan today, but he has been busy as usual and provided us with plenty of features for the hour ahead. And the biggest story right now is the price of food. We hear about how fruit and veg, coffee, meat and wine are being affected. Prices will be things you've never paid before, definitely beyond uh, usual price rises, yeah. One Cambridge shop is adapting to the surge in prices by altering what they sell. We thought it was time that the fresh produce came back with the bang, so that's what we're going to try and do now. Covid's a little bit behind us. One century's demon drink is another's height of fashion as we publicly engage with gin through the medium of podcasts. We had someone who didn't really like gin but liked beer, so we found a gin that was made from beer. We tried it too, we wouldn't drink it again, but we tried it. Steve Thompson, the foraging chef, will be here to tell us what's good for local foraging at the moment and what you can do with it. These are all plants that we've used to survive because we didn't have everything being flown in from all around the world. We'll talk about how we preserve them with every plant and what we do with them, but it's all about getting to know the flavours, really, and using your imagination. And we've advice for those who grow their own fruit and veg from Dave Fox of Trumpington Allotments. If you like asparagus, grow it because it's such a terrific crop. It's got a unique flavour and you get that crop when there's almost nothing else to eat coming off the, coming off the garden. So it sort of punches above its weight a little bit in that, in, that, in that respect. There we go. So let's begin. We hear a lot about food prices at the moment, especially those affecting gas and electricity. But what about the price of food? The Flavour team has been out and about asking a variety of retailers what's happening to prices. Now, the good news is that most of them are not passing on the full increases they're having to pay to their suppliers, but prices are still going up, and for a variety of reasons too. So let's start at Cambridge Market with Chris, who runs the fruit and veg stall opposite what used to be a branch of Gap, but is now an empty shop. Chris, how are prices going at the moment for fruit and veg? Well, beans, we're in a bit of a hungry gap at the moment and lots of stuff is imported. Um, haulage costs and um, paperwork at the docks is and making things much more expensive. Put that with um, quite poor harvest last year in most of Europe. Um, price rises are starting to kick in and will carry on for the rest of the summer. Any idea to what extent? Uh, at the moment, no. It will be uh, Prices will be things you've never paid before definitely beyond uh, usual price rises yeah i mean apple crop is, the english apple crop is now coming to an end so that'll be all imported until august um, and then the soft fruit season will start and of course our soft fruit season doesn't really get going until june so it'll be a couple of months of spanish and italian imports yeah uh, and uh, transport costs are high then are they from abroad uh, because of the 
not just diesel costs, but um, driver costs and paperwork at the port is taking another day to get trucks through the port, so that's all added to the cost to pay. Right, OK. Are people changing their buying habits, have you noticed? I think uh, we've noticed that people are probably coming into town once a week instead of two or three times. That saves them a bit of money. The weekends are very busy, but the weekdays are very quiet. Right, why is that? Um, we noticed in the last recession in 2008, I think people it costs people to come in, even if it's only parking or a coffee or something like that. So they cut down on their trips out. And they just come in just once a week. Right. Okay. On the other side of the market, close to Rose Crescent, is Emerald Foods, where Julia and Tracy sell coffees, teas, dried fruit, spices, nuts and olives. And over the sound of a trolley passing over the market's famous cobbles, they talked about how price increases are affecting them. Prices in general are just literally going up before our eyes. Our olives gone up by a third, but we are holding that price. We're not, yeah. We haven't put them up by a third. We, we, I mean, we are managing to kind of absorb some of these costs at the moment. I mean, some of our coffees have gone up. They've gone up so much, literally overnight. There's a lot of factors involved there. I mean, most of it is logistic. Number one is the cost of bringing a container across. Our importers said that it's gone from like 3,000 to like 18,000. So that is the main reason. Also, I think that there's been a frost. There's been a frost in um, Brazil, which has affected like the global coffee index. Utilities, like the cost of gas and everything. You know, the roasting process and fuel. I mean, yeah. it's just like a perfect storm, really. So you're just holding, trying to hold prices well, as best you can. Put, um, we have had to put. Um, our prices up, but we're, we're trying to sort of balance it. But between. we haven't put them up as much as, uh, no. as they're costing us, with you know, because we don't want to lose customers. Yeah. Um, Are people changing what they're buying? Do you think? Are they going for cheaper um, options? Yeah, uh, January, February was like quite cold months. It's always quite a month, but get to March and go on to April, things start to pick up. The last four weeks, yeah, the weather hasn't been great. It hasn't a, a factor on the market, but. I can definitely say um, our sales have been down. Saturdays are really busy, really busy, but uh, midweek it's been noticeably quieter. So, you know, you can guess this has a factor in it, but... Yeah. And I think, you know, what with everything going on in the world, people are thinking twice before they spend, yeah. you know, because people are thinking twice, aren't they? Wine, too, is going up, but Chong Chong Bo, who runs the newly opened Amphora in Devonshire Road, has an appealing solution. All my suppliers actually increase their prices every March and I, of course I've noticed certain uh, price increases. I haven't increased my prices very much. Um, in fact, a few of my prices have actually decreased. The way I hope to offset that is by selling more wine. So keeping my prices essentially the same, but just selling more wine, especially now that I have business partners um, who have the capital to support me to, to do that. Um, I think perhaps the price increases aren't as severe as people might expect. I think if we keep drinking high-quality wines and buying from independents, then that will continue to keep the prices relatively low and the price increases not as severe as we, we might expect given the current circumstances. And meat prices will increase too, for a whole variety of reasons. Here's Charlie Wicks from Mill Road Butchers. The main increases that we're going to be seeing over the next couple of months and so is going to be over chicken and pork and stuff. And a lot of this is just due to everything that's going on in the world. A lot of people don't know. Ukraine is one of the biggest suppliers of feed for chicken and pork into European and UK country. 
they are no longer able to provide this kind of service that they've provided, so they can't get it as cheap as what they could get it. So we're going to see increases in that. We've also got bird flu going around again at the minute, which is having an effect on birds, poultry, ducks, chickens. So we're going to see some increases along there where they're having to take extra precautions and extra cares to make sure that they themselves and the farms don't come down with it. So we're just going to see a few increases across the board over there. Obviously, we've got Brexit that's playing into play as well. So UK farmers, they're looking for a bit more money for their produce. So we're going to have to pay a bit more and we're going to pass that on to the customers and to our kind of outlets. Obviously, we're trying to keep things as minimalistic as we can, but we've got to be realistic at the same time. I don't necessarily think people are buying cheaper cuts of meat. I think people still are happy to pay for the quality and that's what they're after is the quality we especially in our shop we have noticed that people would rather pay a bit extra for something a bit nicer than just buy the cheapest bulk standard barn raised chicken breast they'd rather buy that free range one that's had a bit more of a luxury lifestyle and just had a bit more general care to it and been looked after a bit better so i think people still shop for the free range however i do feel like a lot of people are conserving what they're spending at the same time because of things like Brexit and the war in Ukraine and everything. We, there's so much uncertainty with what's going forward, so people are just holding back a little bit to prepare themselves, ready for a, a massive spike and increase or anything else that might go wrong in the next coming year or so. <laughs> Everyone's feeling the pinch from electricity, gas and everything like that. Obviously, we as a shop, we have those same problems. You know, I've got about 10 fridges and 20 freezers and stuff around us so we've got a lot of electricity that we're going through so our electricity bill has more than doubled in the last couple of weeks so we've now got to obviously account for that as well as all of these price increases just uh, yeah it's all getting a bit much really for everybody <laughs> and finally ben aveling of the radmore farm shop with his view of the price increases and what he's doing to combat them yeah, generally footfall is down in the week. The weekends are similar to what they used to be, if you like. But um, during COVID lockdowns or not, every day was very similar. You didn't have big weekends until recently again, you know, when it came back. With regards to the pricing, everything is going through the roof and everyone knows the stories. And since COVID hit, we've pushed hard on the farm to produce as much as we can. So actually what's happening with us now is we'll be able to produce things ourselves, which ironically is pulling prices down. So if you came and bought some free range pork from us this weekend, you'll find that it's probably cheaper than the last time you came in the shop because it's all gonna be ours now. And that's following through for things like our free range goat. A lot of the produce we're trying to do fresh, sort of order it in more often and keep on top of it that way. And hopefully by being a tad cheaper than we used to be, that's the aim, you might be able to attract more customers in because people still need to eat, you know? <laughs> the other thing, of course, the moment I set foot in here, there's so much going on. There's so many changes <laughs> underway. Uh, yeah, so as you know, we've done a lot of different things over the years. If you used our old shops years ago, you'd remember the greengrocer's window. I'm bringing that back. We're actually just installing a brand new cheese counter with a good selection, but focusing mainly on English cheeses, local farms where possible, and we'll be cutting them in store. And yeah, we're just trying to go... COVID sort of got in the way of everything, as we all know. With the shop, we've still got our zero waste focus with refills and such, but we thought it was time that the fresh produce came back with the bang. So that's what we're gonna try and do now. COVID's a little bit behind us. The way we do things is we look at what something costs us and we look at what we should charge for it. And the same goes to things we produce. 
Sometimes you win some and you lose some. And so what we try and do is across the board have a good quality range with a good price to it, you know, fair and reasonable. We don't necessarily put things up when they all go up. And that's not really how we do things. So sometimes we'll just maintain a price if even it means we lose out a bit because we want to make sure our customers can still get the things that they've always bought from us. Yeah, I'd rather take that hit as a business and tackle it in ways where we could put the prices up or maybe in a lot of ways make things more efficient is another good way of doing it. It's not easy, I'm not saying that's what everyone should do, but we can tweak things and it doesn't quite hit our customers the same as maybe someone who buys something very specific would, e.g. You know, people who transport goods. You know, that is going to be a big cost added on if that's your job. But as our shop goes, we do our best to make sure it stays the same, you know. <laughs> Yeah, so we've got lambs, so I'm a shepherd now. We've got our free-range goat, the free-range pigs. We don't do cattle yet, but we still use local farms for our beef. I'm making all the sausages again. We're installing brand new bakery ovens. We're going to be making our own handmade bread in the shop in the next few weeks. Sadly, our bakery, who we've dealt with for years, has had to stop. And it's happened too many times in the past with bakeries. So Vicky and I just thought, well, we know we can make it because she already bakes at home. So we thought, well, why not add another string to the bow of Ravmore and just bake your own bread too? <laughs> if you come in this weekend, we're hoping to have a lot of changes installed, mainly the cheese counter and the greengrocer section. But over the coming weeks, you're going to notice a change in what we're selling. We're going to go further into a larger range of meats that you can come and buy packaged. Some people like butchers and some people don't. And for us, we find that people enjoy selecting products off a shelf and we're going to up our range of meat, cheeses and fruit and vegetables and breads and all the essentials that we need because I think that that's what the local area needs is a, a back to basics and do some things that we've always done really well, but just even better. One thing we're doing now is we're upping our deliveries. We used to deliver once a week, but since we're bringing in fresh produce to the shop more and more and more often, if you email us at radmorefarmeroutlook.com to be added to our list and you can see what we've got available every week and now at twice a week. I've got to say, you don't have to put a positive spin on things, don't you? <laughs> Even in a tricky situation like the last couple of years. Well, nothing ever good comes of stewing on things. Even if, you know, the black hole comes and swallows everybody up, at least you went down swinging. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you find that business people like to moan. I mean, you don't have to put this in the show, but it's always doom and gloom and, oh, this is wrong and this is wrong, but that's not really how we are. Yeah, things are tough, but they've been tough before. We started this business in a recession, and, you know, who's to say you can't survive another one? There's always going to be people who need to eat, and you might find there's a niche for you, or you might find there's not as many people coming out. You don't really know, but... All I do know is you've got to try and do your best because you're here and you've got to do it. There's no point thinking otherwise. So we've always gone, well, what can we do with what we have and what can we do well? And one of them is, you know, is the farm. You know, that's a unique angle we have. We do have a shop. We have a good team. We have good access to fresh produce. We do have lovely customers. We do have a delivery around. So you've got a foundation there to springboard from where you can go in any direction you like. And for us, it's about the positives. And that's what it's like shopping at Radmore Farm, isn't it? It's always positive. <laughs> I thought I'd give you your end. There you go. <laughs> That uh, was Ben Aveling there, supplying more of his own homegrown products to combat costs and branching out into deli and grocery to help keep his prices fair for the customer. But is it possible to get free food? Cue the music.
find free food by using the Olio app which exists so that people's or businesses surplus food doesn't go to waste. So having a look at the Olio app for today and filtered on Cambridge of course we can see that Tony who lives near the bridge on Hills Road has an ample supply of burger buns, baps, four loaves of three cheese bloobers and a few packs of gluten-free crumpets to give away. All are in unopened packs. Uh, he did have tiger batons, custard tarts, even three packs of rainbow tulips, but somebody's already come and picked those up. Anyway, plenty still available from Tony. Next up is a lady called Harmony who lives down Coronation Street off of Hills Road. That's possibly the first time that Harmony and Coronation Street have gone together in a sentence. And she's got gluten and dairy-free pita breads to give away. And finally, Innes on Histon Road near the ATS. She has a jar of virgin unrefined palm oil. It's 500 grams minus the three spoons that she's used. It's fair trade and it's really good quality. And those are just a few of the things available on Olio today. Not counting tea bags, milk, soup and smash from Nikki, Aoife with her mini pots of oil to give away, Vi with dairy milk chocolate robins, or even Maria with her bag of I Am's dog food, which will ensure that you have healthy teeth and a nice shiny coat. And another free app called Too Good To Go has unsold food from restaurants and shops, often at less than half price. Rather than specifying each leftover item, the surplus food is simply packaged as a magic bag, ready for you to take home instead of it being binned at the end of the day's trading. Okay, let's move on to our first news break now. And Vandalile, that's Vandalile's incarnation as a wine bar, continues from the 30th of March to the 2nd of April, and from the 6th to the 9th of April. Vandalile is in Mill Road, it opens at 5pm, and there's walk-ins available, maybe some stagger-outs too. Maurizio, also in Mill Road, has a tapas event on 6th of April at 7pm, and the cost is £25 per person. It's a Spanish and Italian collaboration with seven homemade tapas paired with two Italian wines. To book, email info at mauriziodining.com. There's a couple of wine tastings coming up. Uh, both are on the 30th of March. The first is at the Wine Rooms in Hills Road. It's a Tuscan night when the Antinori ambassador, Luca Soldo, will be on hand to guide you through seven great Tuscan wines with a paired five-course menu designed by Liz Young. It's limited to 21 places and it runs from 6.30 to 10.30. And the second is at Amphora on Devonshire Road, which has a Meet the Winemaker event with Mafalda Vasquez of Herdade dos Gros in Portugal's Alejento. There'll be a minimum of six wines to taste and they'll be accompanied by Portuguese meats, cheeses and sardine pate, amongst other things. It costs £30. It starts at 8pm and you can book online. Flourish has announced its flower days for this year. Now, it's when you harvest your choice of the flowers they grow on the farm, then you feast on a lunch made from produce grown at Flourish, and then in the afternoon, learn how to arrange your flowers with a guest florist. The cost for the day is £85 or £160 for two, and the dates are 23rd of July, 13th of August or the 10th of September. Uh, each day is, starts at 10am and finishes around 3ish. You can book via the Flourish website. There's a new trader on Cambridge's Sunday market, the Tea Apothecary, which sells loose leaf and bag teas, accessories, and to the joy of many, hot fresh cups of tea. <laughs> and the Cherry Hinton Road branch of Cambridge Wine Merchants is now open until 10pm on Thursdays, Fridays and Saturdays, and it's now selling fine wines by the glass. Also, the Steak and Honor van will be in attendance every Thursday night, and that's the end of this news section. We will have more later.
Now, if you feel at this time you're in need of a stiff drink after all that info, how about a gin and tonic? I'm speaking to Sarah Cruz and together with her daughter, Anya, they have been involved in setting up a podcast that's all to do with a demon drink. And the demon drink, of course, is gin. And it's called Gin and Topic, which is a lovely name for a podcast. It's coming up for its first birthday. Sarah, I am delighted to speak with you. What I'd really like to know is what gave you the idea of a podcast based on gin in the first place? Well, it's really quite simple. Anya and I love gin. And the podcast came out of us being silly over lockdown. Five o'clock is our typical gin time. Try not to drink it during the week, but five o'clock Friday. So we would turn up in the kitchen together making our gin and we started being silly about doing a YouTube video or a TikTok video, just being really silly in the kitchen. Unfortunately, lockdown lasted a bit longer than everyone anticipated. And so this silly idea started to grow some rather serious legs. We wondered how we could use gin as a way of having conversations with people who we wouldn't always get the chance to talk to. A lot of the work that I do is in public engagement training with researchers within universities and in industry to help them to communicate their research to the public. I started thinking, well, if we were to be serious about this, maybe we could use gin to have a conversation as we would in a pub with an expert to talk about their topic and just talk about things that we wouldn't normally connect with. And so then it started sort of growing from there. We did a few episodes and then we did a few more. Then we finished series one and all the bottles of gin with that. Then we thought, well, we'll carry on to series two. and. We're just finished our series three as we come up to our first birthday, but we have series four ready in the wings. So how many podcasts is that? That's 52? Do you know, I haven't actually counted. I think it's a bit like when you put the rubbish out, you know, you don't really want to see the amount of bottles that you've got in those boxes. Yes, that's all the gin, isn't it, of course? (laughs) It's all the gin. And indeed, with this current series, we have brought on board, we've been brilliant to be able to pair up with the gin monkey, Emma Stokes. She's been able to add to our podcast with a little extra episode every Sunday as well to just give us some more tasting notes on the gin. So rather than just Anya and I talking about whether we liked it or not, we actually get an expert telling us more about the actual gin, how it's made, the different botanicals that you can taste in that. So that's been really interesting too. Yes, because I remember coming on one of your very early podcasts with Pinkster's Gin and I was talking about the history of gin and Stephen was, of course, talking about his lovely gin and his innovations. It's a great way to both get a sort of a drink conversation going to get a more academic but popular science or popular culture conversation going. What's been your decision as to the types of gin that you've chosen? So with this and actually linking with your episode as well, Sue, we leave the gin choice up to our guests. 
sometimes we help, especially if we have a guest who wants to come on, but says, I don't really like gin. We had someone who didn't really like gin, but liked beer. So we found a gin that was made from beer and they were willing to try that. We tried it too. We wouldn't drink it again, but we tried it. We have others who, again, might not know so much about gin or have their own gins that they drink, but they want to try something else. So sometimes we help and I can get a little carried away in my research of the gins because there's so many to try. But otherwise, they come with the gin of choice. And linking back to your episode, we also had a guest recently on this series who listened to your episode. And he was listening about when we were talking about the mother of all gins, Geneva, Geneva. He was there going, it's not just in Holland that it comes from. It comes from Belgium too, because we've got loads of it here. So when he came on our podcast, he was desperate to try the Geneva that they had in Belgium. So we tried that with him, which was the Filias, which is excellent. So for us, it also means that we get to try gins that we wouldn't normally choose to buy and we get to explore all sorts of gins. We've had gin from Australia. We've had gin from Portugal that we've just finished this series. We've had cocktails. We've had non-alcoholic gins in inverted comments. It's been a really good adventure on the gin front. As you say, there are so many gins around. You're Mm. not going to run out, are you? Not anytime soon. (laughs) We can also revisit them as well, because the brilliant thing about the guests choosing the gin is that quite often our guests will come with a story about their gin. So it's not just about the gin we're drinking. It's about why they've chosen it. Some can be it's the gin that we have in the cupboard love that. Uh, Some are freebie gins that they got given, or some have real connections with their research or with events that have happened in their lives. So we get the stories of their experience of that gin as well. So it, it has meaning not just something to drink. And so therefore, that means that the people you've had on and the types of topics have been very Mm. wide ranging. Can Mm. you give a flavour, as it were, of the different types of topics that you've had? That's the beauty of having it so open as a gin and topic. The topic can be absolutely anything. We're open to talking to anyone about anything. So some of the topics that we've talked about, for example, the one that ended this series was about stone tools. So looking back at the tools that were used in the Stone Age, and we always have a question that we're seeking to answer in the podcast. And this question was, what can the stone tools tell us about past humans? And so we're trying to learn about the answer to that question, the stone tools. You can listen to it to find out. Uh, But yeah, completely wide ranging. Just looking, I think, back to the series one, which you were involved in, Sue. Obviously, we were talking about history of gin together, but we've talked about sustainable farming. We talked about cancer, bees. We even talked about early musical instruments. So a real, real range. Coming through to series two, we've again had some real contrasting topics. So we looked at sound science. We were looking at why do people love to hate maths, sort of zoning in on answering that question of, you know, what is it that puts people off? And then through to 
series three, which was a really long one. We had to think about 14 episodes in this series. So as you can imagine, there's been an awful lot of different topics, but we've looked at things like artificial intelligence and obesity and ocean pollution. We also did a science of gin episode, which was our Christmas special, where we were taken through all the interesting scientific facts that can be found within a gin and a tonic. Who was that with? That sounds very interesting. It was brilliant. We even were given a black UV light as well to light up our tonic. And that was with a researcher called James Blackshaw, who is from the EMBL EBI in Cambridge. That sounds like somebody I'm the Cambridge gin people will, I'm sure, know of. And then with one of those, we did have a Cambridge distillery gin on the podcast. And it can get really local because that gin was a special gin that included some honey distillate, which had come from the bees of the guest that we were talking to. So we also got to try some of the honey distillate that went into making the gin as well as the gin. Do people approach you or do you approach people? How does this work? Yes, so both. We typically put a call out on various academic platforms asking for experts and have a constant flow of people who would be interested in talking about their research. There may be things that we see out in papers or in social media and we think, oh, that's a really interesting topic. So we then approach people to try and talk to them and just things catch our attention. So I'm really hoping, fingers crossed, that we can get to speak to a guest in maybe not the next series, but maybe the series after. So we saw a person that we'd like to talk to and we cheekily approached them on social media because their research is in pangolins and again, working in Cambridge. But I just came across the fact that there is now a gin, a pangolin gin as well, supporting these endangered species of pangolins. So I was like, oh my God, we could drink a gin that then gives money to pangolins and talk about pangolins too. So hopefully we can get him on a future series which would be good so therefore your audience is pretty wide because as a fact it's a podcast people can listen wherever whenever completely and that's i think the beauty of podcasts so we've done too many episodes for all the empty rattling bottles but all those episodes are there on podcast platform and as well as those episodes we have specials but it can appeal to all sorts of people as well because you've got the gin on one side but then you've got all those topics that we're talking about and Anya and I are not academically minded but we're interested we start every episode by divulging exactly what we think we know about the subject which is often very little and then we just spend the time wanting to understand that question that we've posed at the beginning. And so then we will just be asking the questions that many of us would ask and maybe be afraid to ask because we think that they appear stupid. And so then we just learn about those topics. So we could be approaching a topic that both of us are thinking, oh my God, this is going to be really boring. And then we just have a brilliant time, really interesting. We come out the end of it going, wow, never realized that was such fun. 
If people want to dip in and out with or without a glass of gin in hand to your podcasts, how do they go to find out about them? You don't have to have a gin, but as one of our listeners was saying the other day, she finds it very difficult to listen and not have a gin because it just makes her want to sit there and sip her gin along with it. We release episodes every Friday at five o'clock, but they then go on to any podcast platform. So wherever you get your podcast, whether that is Spotify or iTunes or any of the others, or you can get them directly from our website, which is ginandtopic.com. We are Topic Gin on Twitter, Instagram. We're also on LinkedIn for LinkedIn learnings that we can put across. So yeah, so we're on all of those and Facebook too. And we keep it all simple as being Topic Gin. And with that, we're going to head into a two-minute break, after which we'll be wild food foraging with Steve Thompson and growing our own at Trumpeton Allotments. Don't go away. Cambridge 105 Radio. On the Big Band Show this week, we have a dip into my vinyl vault to find some classic Big Band swing. We will also have a look around the region to see what's happening on the Big Band scene locally. And with Michael Bublé bringing out a brand new album on Friday, we might have a track from him. So join me, John Hammond, this Sunday from 7 for the Big Band Show here on Cambridge 105 Radio. Just your average night. Fraser's upstairs gaming online with his mates. Sophie's streaming her favourite tunes in her bedroom. Mum's downloading the latest drama box set. And Dad's liking kitten videos on his phone. But this isn't your average night. Thanks to City Fibre's full fibre network, everyone's gaming, streaming and scrolling at breakneck speed. Join Cambridge's gigabit revolution today. Head to cityfibre.com slash Cambridge 105. CKLG Accountants are a friendly team of accountants and tax advisors with big firm expertise. I'm Lawrence, Director of CKLG, responsible for business services. We understand that running a successful business brings many challenges. Our experienced business services team provide a bespoke service and offer professional advice at every stage of your business journey, allowing you the freedom to focus more on what you do best. To find out more, call us on Cambridge 810100 to arrange an initial chat with one of our specialists or visit our website cklg.co.uk cklg accountants your partner in business your partner in life cambridge 105 radio and that music signals time for news from social media yeah, fresh on Instagram is congratulations to Amphora, who raised £1,800 last night for Cambridge for Ukraine. The money will be going directly to an ambulance in Cherniv, which is close to the northern border, not far from the main city of Kiev and east of Chernobyl. Coffee of the week at the Emerald Food Stall in Cambridge Market is Monsoon Malabar. It's a single, original, highly sought-after Indian blend, full-bodied with nutty notes and low acidity, great for fans of dark roasts. 
Uh, a tweet from the Full Circle Shop. That's the one on Norfolk Street next to Thrive, I think. You can grab a coffee and have a chat with Full Circle co-founder Emma to chat about all things zero waste and vegan. Uh, that's along with the Cambridge Carbon Footprint team. And today they will be at the Cambridge Central Library. And finally, you heard it earlier, but the Radmore Farm Shop on Elizabeth Way opens its cheese deli counter and extended meat range and greengrocers today. <laughs> Steve Thompson is the foraging chef, a regular voice on flavour, and he also does five-course pop-up menus and hosts wild food tours, the first of which I went on last Sunday. So today he'll take us through a few safety tips for when you're going out foraging for edible wild food and all about flowering blackcurrant. There's a few little rules. First of all, the myth about mushrooms, there's no mushroom that can harm you by touching, by anything like that. Plants can. So don't go grabbing plants straight away. The prime example of that is stinging nettles. Or, like we were talking about earlier, giant hogweed. There's other ones like splurge and stuff that would be bad for your skin, like common ivy is really bad for your skin and things like that as well. So best not to touch plants first. But mushrooms is always safe to handle and have a look at and have a play with. But plants are the dangerous ones. Mushrooms are the ones that get a bad press. Plants are actually the ones you really want to be wary of. Again, with mushrooms, it's actually safe to taste test any mushroom. So the death cat, which is the most poisonous mushroom in the world, I've taste tested and stuff like that, but you cannot ingest it. You have to spit back out. So it's all about ingestion. Plants is not safe to do that. There's a plant we'll look at later, which is covered in oxalate crystals, which are like tiny little needles, basically. So it'll really like swell your mouth up and it's it's horrible. It's a lot of pain. So it's, it's an interesting one. But yeah, there's not a lot of other rules like sustainably foraging. Don't go and like smash out a whole patch of something. It's best to leave a location looking like you've not been there. I think that's the best way to put it. If you leave nature like you've not been there, so don't leave litter lying around, don't leave anything like that. Don't dig things up, don't leave the ground looking horrible. That's a good way, but really these plants are here to be picked. They come back. Like, if they weren't here to be picked, they wouldn't still be here now. But it's all about if there's a patch. Like, there's people say rules, like, take one-third of everything and no more. But that's absolute rubbish, because if there's a tiny patch, you take one-third of it. So and there's some plants that it actually helps them by I think a lot removing of them it does, yeah. through and cutting back, and I it think, will promote growth. I think a lot of them, yes, to be entirely honest. Mm. I mean, I've picked the same patches for years, and there are certain plants where I take absolutely everything in the area. And it'll come back year after year after year after year. There's a lot of myths and a lot of phobia around it and a lot of fear. And I think that comes through lack of understanding. Once you start getting into it and the key identification features in plants that you look for, it's not as scary as it seems. It's not as alien. And actually, a lot of these plants you'll see today, you'll probably already know. Last month, we talked about a little challenge of picking your own salad leaves. Everyone just does it once or twice a month instead of going out and buying a shop-bought packet salad. And it will make a huge difference. And we're not taught these things at school, and it's something that should be taught at school. Or by your parents, it's a wonderful thing. But there's a couple of generations of loss, really. I think the last three or four generations, like grandparents, great-grandparents kind of thing, the knowledge has been lost. But before that, these are all plants that we've used to survive, because we didn't have everything being flown in from all around the world. And it's really easy. And some of these, we'll talk about how we preserve them with every plant and what we do with them. But it's all about getting to know the flavours, really, and using your imagination. And the way I work with it when we're creating dishes is to to taste it and... It reminds me of a vegetable or something that I've used loads, and you just replace it, and you put things into recipes. And flowering so currants, pretty, isn't it? so it's one of the ribes. It looks which like is a currant family. Leaf. Is that right? Yeah. It's, okay. it, it, it's the same family as red currants and black currants and white currants and all of those. So, would it so normally it's got, be called like an ornamental currant? It, yes, that is, that is their name. Yeah, it's another name for it. And it's got 
it's not quite, I mean, it's a sunny day, but we're quite early on in spring. The warmth comes through and you get a lot more flavour, like probably in about a month's time. Some people get catwee, and I get the lovely black currant warmness. Oh, I get black currant. It's a really nice plant. You can make wines out of it. We make vinegars out of it. My favourite thing to do is to pickle it. The leaves do have a bit of flavour, but I don't tend to use them. I think the flowers on this one are wonderful. So how do you pickle them? So what we do with the pickling, so with preservation through acidity, you're trying to get more acidic than the magic number which is 4.6 pH so if you're more acidic than 4.6 pH you're preserving so we'll go through things like fermentation a bit later and stuff like that it's all about turning it into a more acidic level than that so our pickling liquor balances out exactly 4.5 so we do one part vinegar two parts sugar three parts water 100 grams 200 grams 300 grams we just weigh it all out like that bring it up to the boil cool it and then pour it over the flowers and what we're not looking for is actually the flowers we won't use that at the end. The end product is a liquid. Mm. And then you can do so many wonderful things like that. You can say pickle beetroots and eggs and they're all we quite often thicken it up with gelling agents and, stuff and turn it into ketchups. I like my own flavour. I don't like it as sweet. I like a bit of a kick. I have to, to change it. Yeah, you, I mean, it's all about balance. So the pickle liquor we do is quite sweet, but we use yeah. it for a lot of ketchups yeah. and stuff like that. But mm. you can balance. The sugar's not really the preserving agent. It's the acidity. Yeah. But pH meters are only about seven quid. Yeah. Litmus paper yeah. is probably the easiest, but I don't like using them. They're not as accurate. You can get these little yellow pens. Yeah, and they're seven quid and they work perfectly adequately. So this is a lovely plant. You have it a lot in gardens. People make wines out of it, infuse vinegars into it. The eminently knowledgeable Steve Thompson. Sorry for the slight cut-off there. The reason for that is that there'll be more of his wild food tour next time. And if you'd like to book one of his tours and see nature through the eyes of a chef, just point your browser to theforagingchef.co.uk. Okay, time for some more news now. New opening hours from Kingston Hummus and Wine at the Kingston Arms in Kingston Street. They're now open Mondays, Thursdays and Fridays from 4.30, Saturdays from noon and Sundays from 11am. And new spring scooping times at Jack's Gelato in Bennett Street, weekdays 10am to 11pm and to midnight at weekends. Now, if you're listening to us live today, that's Saturday, it's Earth Day, where the focus is on sustainability, reusability and minimising food miles. The Garden House Restaurant in the Graduate Hotel in the centre of Cambridge has teamed up with Sapling British Vodka to create a special cocktail and snack set. Now, this is available from today until the 2nd of April, and the set is £10 per person, and for every set sold, Sapling Vodka will plant a tree in the UK. Now, the cocktail and snack set comprises a special coffee cracker and smoked cod's row. It infuses the restaurant's used coffee grounds into a seaweed stock, simmers that stock with tapioca, and then dehydrates it to produce a savoury, slightly bitter cracker. This is served with a smoked cod's row dip, and cod's row being an often discarded part of the fish. So, that's the snack. The cocktail is called the Wren in Cambridge. This is a garden-fresh blend of sapling vodka. It's mixed with Saint-Germain, lemon, cranberry and rosemary. So, that's £10 for some lovely food and drink for you, and a tree for Britain. So if you'd like a cocktail and snack set, you can book online by going to gardenhousecambridge.co.uk. Well, the Cambridge Festival begins next Thursday, the 31st of March. Run by Cambridge University, there's over 350 online and in-person events that focus on the many environmental issues we're currently facing, and almost all of these events are free. Several are food-focused, and one that may be of interest to flavour listeners is called Alternative Proteins, Alternative Values, Changing Foods for a Changing World. 
It's a panel discussion on the rising trends of alternative foods like plant-based and cultured meats, products made from insects or fermentation. A new way of making and consuming food that could change our everyday lives. It will be at the main lecture hall on Downing College site Friday the 8th of April from 3.30 to 5pm. Booking is required and you can do that via the website festival.cam.ac.uk and look for the event Alternative Proteins, Alternative Values. And that's our news for today. Okay. Now, the lovely weather that we're having recently and right now is a fantastic opportunity for getting outside and starting to grow your own food. Now, if you're unsure about it or would benefit from some reminders, here in our final feature for today is Dave Fox from Trumpington Allotments. Dave, fantastic weather, bringing people out onto their garden plots and the allotments, but what should people be doing now? Well, they should certainly be in their gardens because it's lovely, it's lovely weather. You know, it's such an optimistic time of year. Isn't it? It's warming up. You can see things coming into bud. I mean, I would say plan. So, if you're going to grow stuff, plan where it's going to go. If you're doing annual vegetables, which is hopefully you've already got a plan. If not, make one. Make one soon. <laughs> Trying to avoid planting the same plant family where you grew it last year to avoid build-up of disease or um, depletion of nutrients in the soil so have a rotation plan so if you're thinking about putting perennials in well definitely do some planning there because they're going to be there for three years 10 years hopefully 300 years in the case of my mulberry tree it's in year 11 now (laughs) so the location of those is particularly important and you're probably putting those at the end of a plot so you can have an area of uh, frequently rotated annual stuff in between but uh, just think about how it's going to work long term one perennial that can go in now is asparagus so i've heard so many people in their first second third year think oh yeah i'd like to grow asparagus but it takes three years before you can start taking a substantial crop off it is that's too long to wait well it's really worth the wait it's really worth the effort and sometimes people they have the concern that they might not keep their garden or allotment long enough to get that crop you can see that concern we have such a mobile population with people changing changing jobs but it's still worth putting asparagus or something in because someone else will benefit from it in in the future and you know what you just might move to a garden where someone planted asparagus (laughs) three years before so you know i would try and be a little more altruistic about that and if you like asparagus grow it because this it's such a terrific crop it's got a unique flavor and you get that crop when there's almost nothing else to eat coming off the garden so it sort of punches above its weight a little bit in that in that in that respect and also it's expensive to buy isn't it apparently i've heard yeah (laughs) (laughs) and 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 it's also impactful on the environment of course because you see asparagus out of season and where does it come from well south america for heaven's sake Mm. and it's probably been flown in which is just insane so grow your own eat it when it's ready and just spend the rest of the year looking forward to the next crop (laughs) what else should people be doing well get sowing quite a lot can go in now i've already put in onion sets tiny little onions to be planted as as seed and they're quite hardy if there's a frost it doesn't matter they just bury them up to their necks in the soil i would urge one word of caution with the with the onion sets as soon as they start producing their green leaves fly called the allium leaf miner will detect them and come along and lay its eggs and the larva will 
eat the way down the leaves into the developing bulb and that will completely knacker your onions. Um, it seems to be endemic now. The trick is to cover your onions as soon as you sow them with uh, fine mesh, which will keep the fly out. You can take that mesh off, in theory, at the end of April. I'll leave it on until the middle of May, just to be safe. Um, but then it needs to go back off. If you're, if you're growing overwintering onions, it needs to go back on in September and October because this, this pest has a second, a second brood on the wing. So cover your onions. What else can go in now? Well, potatoes, of course. So as you can see, I've got a box of potatoes. Here, Alan, these are charlots. They have the characteristic varietal shape, quite a long tuber. And these are the best 12 out of the bag that I got. I'll have some spares left over for, for someone else. And you can see they've got their little chits developed. They're not huge, but that's okay. They go in the ground. What I will do with some of these tubers, as you can see on, on this one, it's got one, two, three, four or five isolated chits, and then a little group of three chits there all developing. So I'm going to be a little bit cruel and I'm going to break some of those off just with my fingernail. Why? If you have fewer chits growing out of your potato, then you'll ultimately get a smaller number of large potatoes, which are easy to prepare in the kitchen. Though I won't do that to all of them. I'll also leave some with lots of chits on and then I'll get a large number of small potatoes yeah. from those plants. So, yeah. <laughs> and that's a lovely salad potato, one of the one of the very one of the very best. So see potatoes can go in, what else can go in now? Um, broad beans, peas, sowed some peas yesterday and then start thinking it's a little bit early for beetroot carrot and so on but get at least start preparing the beds you know, well get, i was going ready, to ask yeah. you yeah and how should you prepare the beds obviously weed them yeah absolutely the way i do it is by i mulch them with hay you can you can see over there several several beds covered another one here covered with hay um so that would that's um suppress the weed growth over the winter so i just rake that off and then hoe it and then hopefully get a couple of days of warm sunny weather um, wind also does the job the idea is to dry out any weeds that are surviving on, on the surface then you've got a relatively weed free um, soil to sow your, your your small your small seeds into if you can repeat that process if you can hoe let the weeds die and then do that then the next generation of weed the next uh, lot of weed seeds germinate do it again then you ended up with a really weed free surface so that's the best approach so rather than rushing to get your carrot seeds in tomorrow it would be better to hoe, let the weeds die, and then get them in a couple of weeks later when it's a little bit warmer anyway. You won't get significantly earlier crop by trying to jump the gun by two weeks at the moment. Yeah. But I've put lettuce in already, and I've actually got that that's germinating quite nicely. I've got glass covering it which to, to warm it warm it up a little bit. But I'm very keen on lettuce because the local food hub, you know, I'm giving, giving free food away came out of the covid crisis but it looks like it's going to become a permanent a permanent feature they like our fresh lettuce grown just a few hundred meters away from where it where it's distributed so i'm planning on doing four beds of lettuce this year uh, obviously i'll eat some but i can't eat that much lettuce yeah. so most of it will be will be given away so i want an early crop of lettuce which is why i'm putting the effort into into that and i'll, I'll stick a few radishes in soon as well um, to go along go alongside that so, um, yeah. And are there any definite no-nos at the moment? I don't think you really shouldn't be sowing or planting because it's too, you know, the yeah, risk of frost abso or whatever. Absolutely, yeah. So the tender crops. So if you've got any tomato plants started or cucumbers, then you can't put those outside yet. Yeah. Well, you can, but almost certainly um, cold weather or, fro or frost will kill I mean, frost will kill them immediately. Cold weather is going to give them a hard time and stop them. So, yeah, just hold your horses. However... If you've got some space indoors to sow them, a, window, a warm windowsill or a um, little um, seed incubator or 
you're really lucky a greenhouse or a polytunnel then yeah um get uh get some seeds going so tomatoes and especially uh chilies and peppers and aubergine because they take they have quite a they need quite a long season and a slightly marginal crop so if you can get those seeds in early um get them going and have a plan to well either continue growing them inside if you've got the space or figure out where they're going to go outside mid-may at the earliest right at that point you need to get a bit tactical and look at the sort of three three week weather forecast and think right there's a fair chance there won't be any frost in the next three weeks i'm going to put some of my plants out but don't put them all out yeah just in case yeah Yeah. right and for people who maybe haven't fed their soil haven't um you know put compost in is is it what what do they do um well for start when you're growing um roots like parsnip and carrots don't worry because just general advice is not to not to feed that soil they don't need it particularly rich in fact what you want is the taproot going straight down seeking out nutrients yeah um, and they'll hopefully get enough from the from the soil yeah I, otherwise i feed my beds over winter by top dressing with compost and yeah. then give the worms time to um to assimilate that if you've not done that and you have a poor sandy soil like we, like we do here I think a quick fix would be to use something like the... Do we use brand names on, on flavour? Okay, yeah, there's a product um, called Grow Organic here, which is um, stabilised composted farmyard manure, and that's that's quite fine, um, quite a fine texture. It's dry, it's, it's easy to work with, so I um, sprinkle that on the surface and, and then hoe, and hoe it in, and then sow your seeds a couple of, week, a couple of weeks later. So that's a quick way of enriching, enriching the soil. What a, a lot of people do, and a lot of the advice is to you know, dig manure in or dig your compost in. Don't do that. Because you're disturbing the, 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 the habitat of the worms and everybody else that lives in the soil. So put it on top and give the uh, creatures time to mix that nutritious material in, into the soil so that it becomes available to the, to the plants. But like I say, a quick fix, something like that, grow organic or, or fine, fine compost. You can, always, you can always top dress. So, you know, just, just get into the habit of doing that over the winter. That's the best approach. And also um, think ahead to the plant swap events coming up. We have uh, one in May, another one in June here at uh, Foster Road Allotments in Trumpington. And I just saw on my screen yesterday there's a plant swap event at the community centre in Abbey. And that's on Saturday the 14th. And then we have one on the Sunday the 15th here at, here at Trumpington. So, so in May... Maybe you get some freebies at one of these lovely community plant swap events. And is the one here in Foster Road, is that open to, to everybody? Oh, thanks for asking. People? Yes, absolutely it, it is. Uh, after two years of having to restrict our events to members only because of COVID, we're now reasonably confident that we can um, invite the public in and as long as everyone's... Um, as long as everyone's reasonably you know, careful, then I think we're good with an open air event doing our plant swaps as we used to, and we're you know we're so pleased we can we can do that at, at long last because um, you know the allotments are a community facility; they're here not just for the the members who've got plots, it's for the whole community to enjoy. So, and especially now that the new new allotments at Clay Farm near near us are, are open as well. So at I'm last, hoping, <laughs> yeah. So I'm hoping that lots of those people will come along and um, join in the plant swap as well. Yeah, great. Okay, well I wish you a good growing season. Thank you, Alan. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks very much. Okay. <laughs> Many thanks to Dave Fox for that advice. Yeah. 
And there's Green Onion signalling the start of our rather brief job section. A Pimp My Fish has a vacancy. You can phone John on 07494 599 594 or email john at pimp-my-fish.co.uk. That's John with an H, by the way. Coat Brasserie is looking for a chef. Flexible working hours with pay from 11.60 to 12.60 per hour. And a 50% discount for yourself, friends and family as a sweetener. Scott's All Day on Mill Road needs a pizza and brunch chef. That's uh, for up to 32k a year. A full-time chef de partie is needed at Sydney Sussex College. Pay between 23 to 26,000 per year. If you're interested, submit an application form with a covering letter to jobs at sid.cam.ac.uk. Pint Shop are looking for a sous chef and a chef de partie, both full-time. You must have a geeky obsession with excellence and, of course, love food. Salary is between £10 to £14 per hour. And finally, Bills on Green Street are also on the lookout for a chef de partie. Full-time, £11 to £13 per hour. Immediate start. All of which sends us hurtling to the end of today's flavour. We're here on Alternate Saturdays at 12 noon, repeated on Mondays at 6pm and Thursdays at 2pm. We'll also be available via podcast early next week. And coming up on Cambridge 105 Radio today at 1pm is The Gadget Guide, followed by Sue Marchant's selection at 2. But that's all from us. We'll be back on the 9th of April with lots more food and drink news, jobs and features. But until then, goodbye. goodbye.